Who is this new panel? Are you guys still watching CBC? They they went from their other panel to the new panel. Oh, oh no. Yeah, many we have to find these people. Are they trying to like starve their competitors of panelists? Is this the strategy of CBC? This and then is them preparing for a conservative major- majority that cuts all their funding. It's like, <laughs> you can't. We have all the people. <laughs> yeah, all, it all before the end of the fiscal. Oh, um, I need someone to volunteer to answer. Ask this is not a election related question, but to answer on air this first question, I am going to ask. What's the question? Hey guys, what do you call a great idea that you should do all the time? An idea that never stops being a good idea. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. What do you call it? What is that? Thing? You call it <laughs> that thing is supporting Ontario Loud on Patreon. Oh my god. <laughs> That was terrible. This is the first Patreon spot that we've ever recorded with other people. Uh, that's not just me making it up. And it was the worst one. It's <laughs> I, I I disagree. And if you disagree with my co-host and you are on Team Chris for this one, go to OntarioLoud.ca or Patreon.com slash OntarioLoud and donate today for less than the Spice Girl Welcome to Ontario Loud, podcast about politics, public policy, and current affairs had between recovering political staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin. I'm Alexi White. I'm Kate Hammer. And I'm Sam Andrew. <laughs> Sam, <there's laughs> a lot of, I just waved my hands violently because I didn't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us today on the pod is Ontario Loud volunteer social media coordinator Harmon Mundy, who also has experience as an NDP organizer in Brampton and also worked on Jagmeet Singh's leadership campaign. Harmon, welcome to the pod. Hey, nice to be here. It is so good to have you on with us finally. You have seen Harmon's work if you follow us on social media, but now you get to hear his thoughts and opinions on election night 2019. I was waiting for at least one woo. So we are recording right now as results continue to come in, but most Canadian news networks are now projecting a liberal minority government in election 2019. At the time of recording, we're at about 11 o'clock on Tuesday night, but currently it looks like the liberals are heading to a plurality of seats with about... CBC has a great map, actually, where they fell down on their ridiculous 13 million person panel. They've made up more. <laughs> the website is good. Wait, wait, wait. Really important question, actually, for the for the pod to discuss. When does a panel cease being a panel and just end up being like a mob of humans, like discussing an election? At a, at a weird Sephora um, outlet. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I think the answer is a about six or seven so we're way past a mob at this point <laughs> i mean they're great humans like i wanted to hear from all of them but like or almost all of them my personal favorite thing about the panel is that when you're done hearing from the like main 15 people that they seem to want to shoot from an aerial perspective they go to the other panel that's sitting just behind the panel with like nahi denshi and mary heinen on it and then they sort of talk about things that the other panel has said so cbc breaking new grounds in panel composition. Uh, congratulations. At the time of recording, it's 11 o'clock on Tuesday night, but it currently looks like the Liberals are leading with a plurality of seats, but around 33-34% of the popular vote share. Uh, the Conservatives trailing them, the NDP trailing at around 14-15%, and the Green hovering at around 7-8%. to The Bloc is also at 7%, but looking much stronger in Quebec, around 34%. Um, I'm not even going to venture a seat count right now, because I'm sure that is going to change, and also those popular vote things are going to change. So, But uh, important to note, at the time of recording, it's also looking that the Liberals will just need the support of the NDP to pass bills through the House. So it's going to be a Liberal minority government, but they 
will not need to turn to multiple parties. They can find one other party in this house uh, in the NDP and make or the block. yeah NDP or the block or even the conservatives and have legislation pass. So a lot can still change, but we're going to get in today to why we think this result happened, what we think it holds for the future of our country. So I guess starting big picture, guys, why do we think this? Ha- uh, we're looking at the results we are tonight, and what did we know going into the race that could have told us that it, it would end up like this? Well, I mean, I think the big story is that the Ontario vote held pretty much from 2015, 40% to the Liberals, half the caucus, I think, is going to come from Ontario, uh, even, you know, Ontario, or sorry, even in Toronto, uh, most of the ridings where they thought there might fall to the NDP, Parkdale High Park, Davenport, uh, Toronto Danforth, all currently are projecting to stay liberal, you know, even places like King Vaughan that people thought might fall to the Conservatives, held to the Liberals. So I think like, that's the story. And it really, the story is it could have been a liberal majority, if not for the losses in Quebec to the Bloc. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that is standing out to me is also what a victory. This is one of the few elections I think we've seen in a while where it looks like the polling was roughly accurate. You know, we thought it was going to be a conservative, liberal, dead heat and popular vote going into it. And when you look at what that CBC poll tracker was telling us going into this and what we're seeing right now, it's pretty much the same with the exception a little bit of the uh, NDP surge we saw in the last uh, couple days of the campaign uh, propelled by the personal popularity of leader Jagmeet Singh. So um, I think one of the other stories also might be uh, the NDP support not at least turning up in the way in the places that it needed to. Any any thoughts as to why that might be the case, why we might not have seen that NDP support turn out? Well, I think it comes down to just a lack of resources for the party. They've been struggling with fund, fundraising and putting uh, feet on the ground, you know, since 2015. And since Mulcair lost his leadership, there's been a little bit of instability in the party and the fundraising just hasn't been there. So and that really affects your ground game. It really affects your ability to put organizers on the ground and get the vote out. And I think what we're seeing is that we're seeing just, you know, the, the money not being there. Yeah, that like sort of like one, two percent when you're, you know, when your vote is that close um, and you're looking at sort of that level of difference in the population vote share, that is really where a strong get out the vote campaign can make a difference. And I think important to note that they're still looking like the NDP might have a shot in uh, uh, some places, but but it really seems like, yeah, they, they were they did not make the gains at least here that they needed to be. And the block really uh, surged in Quebec and it probably took both from NDP and liberal votes. But it's, it's amazing that we're, other than the block surge, we're very close to where people would have thought we'd be when this campaign started. I mean, how much has really changed since we kicked things off? Uh, we've been through, it feels like we've been through hell and back, but at the end of the day, the, the percentage of the vote between the liberals and conservatives is incredibly tight right now. In fact, the conservatives are slightly ahead by 0.2%. Um, but their their vote share is just, uh, sorry, their vote split is just, um, it's terrible for them. Uh, I mean, I think the story of this campaign is how, how close the liberals are going to get to a majority, a record low vote share. I think the CBC was saying earlier that no one has ever won a majority government with less than 38 and something percent. I mean, the liberals are at 33.7 and they're only 10 seats shy of a majority. They just, they've, their vote is perfectly distributed for what they needed to win this thing. I'm a bit, it's a bit confusing. I feel like we could go back and embarrass ourselves a bit because I feel like when things started un- unraveling for the liberals, we started talking about how, yeah, like basically everybody across Canada, and, and I'm thinking back to the, um, the SNC-Lavalin affair and when that all started brewing and we started saying, 
well, yeah, this is this is going to hurt them everywhere but Quebec. Who would have thought that at this point we'd be saying, yeah, like everything kind of stayed the same in every place and they would have a majority but for what happened in Quebec? I, I think, I think it speaks to ultimately, you know, the, I guess, pointlessness of the continuous doubling down on SNC because it, it didn't matter for them. It didn't matter for the liberals. They could have owned it and probably not bled as much in other places and walked themselves to in a very efficient minority or even possibly majority. Let's be happy that... <clears throat> but let's be happy that Maxime Bernier lost his seat, that the people's yeah. party did not really gain any traction, that the populist wave did not come here to Canada. I mean, maybe kind of slightly, but not really. And that's, that's positive. Yeah, that's no, I, I think... Um, First of all, congratulations, Conservative War Room, for both taking damage from the Warren Kinsella hire and also that Warren Kinsella hire also potentially working. <laughs> I think that's a Pyrrhic victory, the definition of. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt that swayed things very much in the end. No. <laughs> I, I, I do think. I, I, I don't want to be on record as, as thinking Warren Kinsella had a real impact. I on mean, this. Andrew Shear lost his campaign and he's going to be dumped real quick. Let's be real. Okay. So, actually, that is a good segue into, I guess, maybe uh, the next question is given this re- result that we're seeing, yeah, what, what do we think is going to happen for the party leaders? Obviously, Justin Trudeau is not going anywhere. He's going to be the prime minister. Uh, hard to imagine Elizabeth May or Blanchette going anywhere. But in terms of uh, Jagmeet Singh and Andrew Scheer, um, we already have one strong prediction from uh, one Sam Andrew that he's done so. But yeah, what do folks what do folks think about that? Um, I don't think Jagmeet's going anywhere. I think Jagmeet's going to stay on with the leadership here. Uh, I, there's a lot of goodwill that was built by him in the last two weeks of this campaign. He got a lot of personal popularity. There's a lot for him to grow on here. So even though the seat count didn't come out where we wanted it to be, it's not the popular vote share is not where we would want it to be right now. I think, you know, there's a base of support and growth that the party has with Jimmy and getting rid of him would be an awful decision at this point. I don't think anybody within the party is going to be looking to ditch him. And plus, the NDP is probably going to be holding the balance of power. He's going to have a lot of sway on policy. Yeah, and if you, I mean, like the the polling that Abacus Data did uh, throughout the campaign basically showed Justin Trudeau for the past year his negatives and positives roughly changing. So he was damaged by SNC, but the damage was limited and sort of held. Uh, it seems like the more people got to know Andrew Shear, the less they liked him. And uh, his negatives just increased both before and throughout the campaign. But yeah, Jagmeet Singh just had this huge spike uh, at the end. And yeah, definitely. I, I think he had oh, a yeah. lot of amazing Absolutely. social media moments. Like in the last couple of days, he got onto TikTok. <laughs> and and yeah. I just love that so much. So actually, this is a good this is a good segue into... So if Jagmeet Singh and the NDP are going to be holding the balance of power or, you know, potentially another one, uh, the NDP have uh, already made a list of what their demands for supporting any sort of government would be. They are a national single-payer universal pharmacare plan and a, na- and a national dental plan, investments in housing, a plan to waive interest on student loans, a commitment to reduce emissions and end subsidies for companies, and also to transition oil patch workers out of fossil fuel industries, introduction of a super wealth tax, and reduce cell phone bills. So that is sort of what they, that is their entry list to talking to them about supporting a minority government. So I want to get into like what the mechanics of the coalition might hold. So far looking like it could just be the Liberals and NDP or the Liberals and another party. What are our predictions as to how this is going to play out? 
I don't think with only 25 seats, there's any way it will actually be a formal coalition like NDP, or sorry, the liberals will call that bluff and, you know, try to seek at least a two-year mandate between the NDP and the bloc probably successfully. I, I don't see how it could possibly be a formal coalition. Right. And actually, just so listeners, if you're not familiar with the difference between a formal coalition and how minority governments can work, a formal coalition is one where the opposing party uh, sits within cabinet and helps govern as sort of a part of the executive on a day-to-day basis. And a it can work on a more informal basis where the governing party will agree to certain demands uh, or certain make certain concessions to the opposition in order to get, say, a broader budget bill passed. But they're not, the opposition isn't sort of formally brought into the, the cabinet process. If we were sitting in the coalition war room on the NDP side right now, what, we, what would your first thoughts be? I, I'll take a stab at this one. Uh, the NDP... I mean, so first of all, they need to recognize that they're very much a junior partner in this. So for the reasons that Sam already outlined, you got to be, you know, you got to be realistic about what you can push for. So they've already come out with a list of things that they'll be going back to and probably refining further. And it'll be a, a conversation. It'll probably take weeks going back and forth. And this is assuming the liberals are even open to it, right? I mean, Stephen Harper uh, had a minority go for quite some time um, without any kind of agreement whatsoever, neither a co- coalition nor any kind of confidence and supply arrangement with any other party. So the liberals could just say, you know what, screw it. We're close to a majority. We're just going to govern bill by bill and um, budget by budget, knowing that very few of these parties are actually going to be willing to to try to take them down. The bloc doesn't have much of a reason to go back to the polls again anytime soon. The conservatives may or may not have a leadership context coming up in the next little while. So for at least a while, the liberals could just say, let's roll the dice on on governing with the minority. So the NDP, I think it comes down to whether to what extent the parties want to work together. And, and a lot of that, I think, is going to be about the leaders and whether the leaders can get along. Uh, on a personal level, seeing it through the the lens of the stable government here in BC that um, is a has the support of the Green Party over the long term, even though the Liberals had the most uh, seats on election night, that kind of thing can work. And if if they can agree on enough things, it looks like there's enough stuff on the NDP list, from my perspective, from pharmacare, some of their um, environmental issues to to be able to hammer out some kind of agreement on some some details and maybe get something a little more stable. Uh, and I'm personally a big fan of. I mean, I'd love to see them go all the way to coalition. I think. I think we have this sense in Canada that coalition governments don't work. Uh, and I think that that um, it needs to be proven wrong. And in the future, when we finally wisen up and switch to a proportional representation system, we're going to have a lot of coalition governments. So it's time to show that coalition can work. Uh, I definitely agree that the NDP left themselves a lot of wiggle room in their list of demands. I actually thought it was like sort of quite well crafted and was a good sort of campaign strategy because it both sort of helped them signal to their supporters, like if you support these things, you can vote for us. You don't need to strategically vote liberal because there's a good chance we'll be holding the balance of power, which the Singh, uh, but also now that they're at this stage, I mean, the liberals have something that they could say is universal pharmacare. Dental plan is really only big ticket new item that is new there. So I'll be actually really interested to see where dental ends up in the national debate because it's currently not on the liberal policy agenda. But I think something in the last liberal budget on almost everything there was some step towards at least all of those things. Yeah, I think the the devil will be in what isn't on this list and the two parties disagree on. So something like pipelines, for example, has been uh, a key disagreement between the two of them. And um, were they to get in bed together in a coalition or even a, a, a confidence supply agreement, there would probably be a lot of uh, frustration uh, among some of the grassroots NDP uh, supporters for going along with Trudeau's pipeline plan, for example. Uh, I know certainly in some of the writings out here in BC. Yeah, and, and that's where they could actually probably turn to the conservatives and then really frustrate yeah, progressive I, Canada. I think, 
pipe the pipeline issue is like the reason we won't get any sort of you know even informal supply and confidence or or coalition agreement coming out of this the ndp just won't support it the bloc wouldn't even support it their only hope is the conservatives and under those conditions the ndp is not going to support a liberal, a liberal coalition but i do think they're they are in a strong position with their demand to force the the liberals into in their first budget making massive steps towards things like national pharmacare the liberals are going to want to have some big ticket items in their first budget um, and the NDP for them, uh, pharmacare is going to be uh, a condition on which they support that budget. So I think uh, there will be some success that comes out of this as just an informal minority government rather than any sort of formal relationship that the two parties may have. A fun little quirk that I want to bring up right now is that the CPC is actually leading in the popular vote by uh, 100,000 votes from at 34, 33. And I wonder if that oh, wow. will hold up. Yeah. Yeah, is that is that because we just haven't like is that because we've just got all the prairies tabulated and we haven't rounded mm, out? No, the... I think it's because Alberta is like leading by huge. Yeah, I, well, it's possible that but it'll switch. I mean, it's so close, but um, but uh, overall, the the story remains. I think that the Liberals just had a very, very good close. distribution of their votes, um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what impact voter turnout in different demographics uh, was, especially there was a lot of push to, you know, to have students vote in greater numbers, both from Elections Canada, which had a pretty successful voting on campus initiative. There were apparently a historic number of um, people overseas casting ballots in this election. Um, Those wouldn't even been counted yet, I I don't think. So um, it'll be interesting to see. But while while we're we're on the top, this topic, let's talk about the the NDP having a projected 23 seats right now with a little over 1.2 million votes and the uh, Bloc Québécois having a projected 32 seats with not even 750,000. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to open up a formal game of roses <laughs> and thorns uh, in this discussion, uh, but I will say that my thorn of this election, aside from uh, maybe the blackface scandal, definitely going back to the strategy of saying only liberals can stop conservatives and sticking with like this election is, I think, potentially proof as to why that is a winning strategy and potentially winning move for the liberals, sadly, is that in this first past the post Mm -hmm. vote splitting system, that strategic voting difference can make such a huge difference in terms of seats for the liberals and the way that, yeah, they're currently distributed. Yeah, like it's, it's, it is a thing that continues to frustrate me. Cards on the table, I voted liberal this time, but I am frustrated as hell uh, that we didn't do that the last time. Uh, And, you know, we, to Sam, your point, we came extremely close to having a conservative government tonight. Uh, Who's to say that in four years, uh, we won't be in that same position when even more drastic action is needed on climate change and all of these other things. I'm bringing up the, the, the conservatives leading, but getting fewer seats. It's only, it's happened a few times before in Canadian politics. In fact, the first the Laurier's first majority, he gained, he had fewer seats. I'm sorry, fewer votes than uh, the Conservative Party did. But it worked out in the end for him because he, had, he ended up winning three more majorities coming back from that. And I believe Pearson also had that issue as well. He won fewer. He won more, uh, more votes in his first election than Diefenbaker did. But Dief had more seats at the end. It didn't hurt Dief. He ended up coming back with uh, another government, although reduced, I believe it was. So it's happened before, but it won't necessarily hurt the liberals. It could help them. It does feel a lot like 2011 in Ontario, mm. like a very big liberal minority. Yeah. Uh, 
and then remember Dalton then stepped down and a woman take, took over. Christy Freeland, hello. That's true. Uh, or as Dalton McGinty called it at the time, a major minority. That's TBD as to whether Justin Trudeau recoins uh, that phrase. want to talk for a second about a few major big spinoff issues and maybe the issues that went into this. So the bloc did not release a formal list of demands to support a minority government, but they have said that they want the federal government to stay out of any legal challenge to Bill 21, give Quebec control over immigration, have a single income tax return be administered in Quebec, and uh, have it be permitted to expand the province's language laws without any sort of challenge. And those are their sort of main issues. Also, they have a lot of stuff on climate change. They'll probably support any progressive agenda on climate change. So what do we think? How do we think it's going to impact Bill 21? Justin Trudeau has said that he will, that he is open to potentially challenging it in the Supreme Court, but he wants that case to play out first. Everyone else has kind of been mealy-mouthed about it. Um, does this showing of strength on the block have uh, bowed poorly for the federal government on this issue? I don't think that, <clears throat> I don't think Justin Trudeau is going to touch this. I don't think the liberals are going to want to touch Bill 21. I mean, he has had the most anti-Bill 21 position out of all the party leaders, but even then, it hasn't been a very strong opposition to it. It's been very kind of, oh, we'll see what happens, maybe. And I think that we'll see what happens is how well does the block do in Quebec? If the block does really well, they probably I'm assuming they're not going to go after it. And since the block has done well, I don't see him opposing it. Maybe if the block only got 15 seats or 20 seats, then they would oppose it, then they would bring it to the Supreme Court. But, um, you know, they did better than that. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see them uh, opposing this. And that's been something I've been really disappointed by with all the leaders, the lack of strong opposition to Bill uh, 21, because it is a discriminatory law. It is racist. And then there's no denying that. So why aren't, why isn't there a bigger opposition to it from the leaders? How many, how many seats did the NDP get in Quebec in the end? One. Yeah. There you go. Bulleries. Yeah. I don't know. Just like, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Hindsight's twenty twenty. So, in fairness, like you know, but I think we were only the NDP was only really looking to keep two seats at best, Ruth Ellen and Alexander Bullaris. Mm. I think the NDP really could have gone hard line at Bill Twenty One. Yeah, yeah. How little reward? How little parties were rewarded aside from the Quebec Sovereignist Party? Um, that being sort of mealy mouthed about this issue uh, is definitely one of my takeaways for this election. Um, and that's all the time we have for today thank you so much for listening it is very late we're going to stop recording because I would like to go to bed but uh, we'll be back either next week or the week after I am toying in my head with the idea of taking a small break for one week to regroup and come back with some awesome content for the rest of the fall there's so much more to talk about the liberal leadership race in Ontario is going to get kicked into high gear. Um, there is a fall economic statement and Doug Ford is coming back to the legislature to do more great stuff that we're excited to talk about. So um, have a great night. Happy Election Night Canada and we'll see you soon. <laughs>